Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. So we're back from Huntington Beach. We're out at the uh, Cowbunga Van Clan, end of the pier VW show. And uh, it was a pretty good event over there. Had a great time. A lot of people uh, snapped a bunch of pictures of the bus and just really had a good time meeting a lot of people out there and meeting some people from the podcast. So make sure you guys pay attention to where we're going to be at. Stop by, check us out chat with us get you some stickers uh our next event we're going to be at it's going to be on the 31st of may down at uh, old town main street and garden grove the dkp cruise in that's going to be starting the bug in weekend so that friday night will be the dkp cruise in it'll be in old town garden grove uh, that following Saturday will be the Octo Show, so we'll be at the Octo Show as well. And then midday will be it at the Huntington Beach RVA Concord Elegance, the Volkswagen Show. And then Sunday will be at the Bug In. So uh, make sure you come out, check us out. And if you guys uh, are enjoying the podcast, make sure you go on and you rate, review, and share the podcast. Share the podcast with your friends so that we can continue to grow our listenership and also rate it. We'll read your reviews on the podcast give you guys a shout out and we'll get you guys involved in the scene also if there's people you guys want to hear from make sure you go on our facebook page or dm me on instagram let me know who you guys want to hear of who do you want me to track down an interview there's a million interesting people out there like our guests that we have today um, and there's just so much vw history and so much knowledgeable stuff that uh, that we get to hear from these guys that have been in the scene for so long so on today's episode episode 19 we're going to be talking to ron fleming ron fleming's a vw legend he's uh 73 years old and he's still drag racing and he's out there uh going to it he is longtime dkp member so uh, the, one of the founders of fat performance old school cowlick guy that's been in the game since the beginning so a uh, great conversation we have with him lots of cool stuff we kind of go back and forth between uh dkp cow look scene drag racing scene fat performance so we're kind of we kind of keep going uh touching on all three subjects going through a bit of a timeline so it's a great interview learned a lot ron's a great guy i've seen him for years at all the shows lucky that i got to sit down and chat with him and kind of hammer out a lot of the details of some of the early cow look days so hopefully you guys get into it you uh like what you're hearing and you guys give us some feedback on our Facebook page and also on our Instagram. And don't forget, if you guys got any shows or anything coming up in your neck of the woods, make sure that you guys DM me. Send me some information for your shows. We'll get you a shout out for your shows. One of the shows is going to be coming up later on in June. We'll have a little more interview with uh, AJ Batista from the Eastern Tennessee Air Cooled Club. Uh, we'll talk about the event that he's got, uh, Bugging the Dragon, that's going to be coming up June 15th uh, down in Tennessee. So we'll talk about that on the next podcast. But make sure you guys send us some information if you want to get a shout out about an event, a show, or something you have coming up. Also, don't forget, guys, let us know who you want to hear from. Who are you interested to hear from in the VW community? So without further ado, let's get into episode 19 with Ron Fleming. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm your host, Bill T. Today we've got a special guest today. Um, one of the original Cal Look guys from Southern California. And if you're into Cal Look or you're into anything SoCal, I'm sure you know who he is. If you're into off-road racing, you may know who he is as well. Uh, we've got a guest today, Ron Fleming. Uh, Ron Fleming is one of the founders of Fat Performance, as well as a member and a longtime member of DKP Car Club. So we've got Ron on the podcast today. We've got a lot of questions we're going to talk to him about because there's lots of information. So it's probably a multiple part podcast. But uh, without any further ado, Ron, welcome to the podcast. 
Uh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. You know, we, I, I've been in the VW scene for 20 years now, a little over 20 years, and I've seen you constantly over and over the show. And it's, it's kind of one of those things where you see people all the time, you kind of know who they are, and then you never get to really sit down and chat with them. And I've seen you at my buddy Steve's house a few times and whatnot, but we never had a chance to, to kind of sit down and pick your brain. And, and, and the good part with starting the podcast is I, I get in a lot of opportunities now to where I can sit with a guy like you and we could talk about a lot of the history that's gone into the VW scene and, you know, some of the past and all that. That's been going on, and even into contemporary days. I mean, you're still running a drag car to this day, so that's correct. Yeah, so so you've been around. Uh, you've been around a long time. You're one of the one of the uh, one of the godfathers of the cow look scene, <laughs> and uh, especially you know mostly being also influential from the standpoint of um, building engines at Fat Performance and and a lot of history with uh, off road racing and really air cooled VW motorsports for quite a while so one of the first things that I always do on the podcast is I want to know your VW story how did you get into Volkswagens okay I was um, I'm going to deviate just a little bit but I'll draw it together sure I was 15 and a half had a learner's permit dying to have a car so I'm out looking around and I find a 53 Dodge straight six don't run yeah i get it for 30 bucks i spend time on it spend a little bit of money i'm down there i think it was then uh a napa store but uh it might have been called something else but it was an auto parts store and i was bugging the hell out of them to get parts and information uh um because i wanted to get this thing running with one purpose in mind it was clean enough i thought i could resell it because I was dying to have a Volkswagen. Anyway, um, I worked on it because uh, when I was a kid growing up, I used to spend summers at my grandfather's lawnmower shop, and I had tear motors apart. So I had a good feel for using tools and working on motors, so to speak. Anyway, got it running, turned around and sold it for 525 bucks. went down to the cheapy car lots in those days on Harbor Boulevard in Anaheim. There was probably seven or eight of them and you know what i mean they're all they got cars you know no car over a thousand bucks right stuff. and i find a 54 volkswagen black with a red interior which is very common um and it's 500 bucks and i plunked my 500 bucks down and i got a volkswagen nice so your first volkswagen <laughs> is a 1954 beetle hardtop or red 54 hardtop oval window and uh, i ended up kind of um working on it put chrome wheels on it back in the day that were very limited this is in uh i was born in 46 so i'm 16 so that's about 62 and there was limited wheel choices for volkswagens in those yeah. days but i put chrome porsche chrome wheels on it and uh, uh i took it to tj and i hated the red interior and i got a, <laughs> a black and those days it was called tuck and roll kind of interior done for it and, uh, and the funny part was I had a headliner done. And, of course, they do a black headliner in the thing, and then they light fire on paper on fire and stick it in there to shrink it, right? And I'm just freaking out. I'm a 17-year-old young punk in, in, in Tijuana. <laughs> Tijuana getting my interior done. And, of course, it was a lot safer then than I, I would say it is now. But anyway, the headliner shrinks up. I'm driving home from TJ. I, it's all done in one day. 
and I roll the window down and the headliner comes down on my head <laughs> because you can't roll the windows all the way down because the vacuum it creates long service. So I end up getting pop out windows and that stops that. Nice. Nice. <laughs> anyway, that was my first Volkswagen. I went on to have many more. I've had, I had two more oval window hard tops, uh, another 50, a 56, another 54. I've had a 71 Carmen Ghia. I've had a 67 Ghia convertible. I've had three different VW convertibles. One of my favorite ones I had, I had a 1971 Bay Window yeah. with a 911 motor I built and put in it. Oh, that wow. thing was bad. It was, you know, 125 mile an hour brick. A 71 Bay? Yeah. Hmm. And uh, you didn't sell it to you didn't sell that to a Porsche guy, did you? No, I sold it to a guy that worked for me later on in Fat. Um, I kind of jumped ahead, but anyway, I had these Volkswagens. Yeah, there are many more I could tell you about. But but getting back in the early days, I jumped out of Volkswagens uh, for a little short period of time. I bought a Mustang. So you're so you're 16 in 1962. You've got yeah. you, you buy a Beetle. 1964 right. and a half. The new Mustang comes out. So you go and get the I newest hottest ticket. Brand new 289 71 271 horse hypo. You know, red stripe tiger paw tires, Borg Wonder T10. I want to go drag racing, right? Yeah. I don't think about the Volkswagen at this time. I think about going drag racing my Mustang. Right. Well, the first year I owned it, I broke uh, the gearbox ten or eleven times. Wow. Uh, I put a bunch of money into it. It had uh, two four barrels and had 180 degree set headers on it. But I was bitten by drag racing. But at the same time, I was getting ready to go to school college junior college as a matter of fact yeah and so i thought i got to get something that better fuel mileage and all that so i buy another bug right this was my 56 oval window again black yeah and uh i have passion for black cars it's it's a it's a disease yeah. black cars are the most beautiful in the world and the worst in five minutes sitting outside the love-hate relationship with the <laughs> yeah. black cars anyway uh I have to hot rod this thing. So I start finding out ways to hot rod. I put Corvair pistons in it because there aren't very many companies around. I hear about Impy. So I go up to Impy all on my own in Riverside. Yeah. Uh, I meet Daryl, who was a little bit older kid like me. He's, I think he's uh, um, three years older than me. Now, to put this in perspective, Riverside is quite a drive from where you are back in those days, and there's not a lot in between at this time. Well, yeah, the, the, the 91 freeway was an extension of Imperial Highway, and it was two lanes each way. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's like you're going on a journey to go to Riverside. It's not like like yeah. you know it now where it just city, it blends city to city. I mean, you're, you've exactly. got to take this trek into no man's land. Well, to... what is Corona now was not there. Right. There's nothing there. There was, and, and there's no 15 freeway halfway through crossing it. So, yeah, it was like a trip up country, so to speak. <laughs> so you go to MP. Yeah. And I, and I meet Daryl and uh, I meet Dean, who's uh, there working for Joe. He runs the shop. Yeah. And Daryl's like the, the owner's kid hanging around um, and, and would, went on to become the driver of the inch venture. And I don't want to, Daryl was just a young guy then, but he turned out to be, he he became one of my heroes, and now we're buddies. Yeah, you know, we have been buddies for fifty years, which is bad math because I'm only thirty nine. So right, right. I I 
then I get into DKP because I notice uh, uh, I work at a little independent garage mm-hmm. called Westphalia Motors because I had to work on Volkswagens. I had to have a place. So you're and, going uh, you're, you're going to college at this time, and you're working as a mechanic. Well, I quit college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's a side story. I went to G- Fullerton Junior College. Yeah. Because I wanted to pitch. Mm-hmm. I wanted to play baseball. Yeah. And I threw my um, I hurt my elbow before they had Tommy John surgery. Yeah. Oh yeah. When I was like uh, uh, young, you know, like yeah. eighteen, I got out of high school, finished high school seventeen, and then I got into Fullerton JC and anyway I never became a baseball player luckily my sons played baseball a little bit so I had a good time with them but I um, worked at Westphalia Motors and one of the guys that came into Westphalia Motors Greg Bunch was a member of DKP yeah this is the early days of it the club was more a social club mm-hmm. there weren't any hot rods you know and they're all the cars were basically mostly stock with a header extractor whatever exhaust system on him and he kept bugging me oh you need to come and i said ah you know i don't know about being in a car club i kind of like my car but uh, he said well your car's nice looking and we'd love to have you come so finally after about two or three times i went to the meeting with him yeah and uh that was their ruination they didn't know it at the time but (laughs) but it if there was any influence that i really had besides being part of the cal look scene because i was a a drag racer guy, and that was a no-frills part of the cow look. Right. In other words, you know, we don't want gaudy stuff on it. We want it slimmed down. We want it to look like it's ready to go to the drag strip. Right. And, and of course, we want a reason to go to the drag strip. And within uh, a couple of years of me being in the club uh, with a couple other guys in the club, Don Crane for one, Dave Dolan, um, uh, they all wanted to spend money and, and go hot rodding. And I was the man because I worked at a shop. Mm-hmm. I built motors. Um, after a while, I left that shop, went to work for Jeanberg Enterprises. A lot of people don't remember that. Oh, but really? I, I ran Gene's shop for uh, the first couple of years after he left Dino Dinosaurs. See, I'm jumping all over. Gene so, came down and hooked up with Dean, and so let's then talk, he left Dean. So let's talk about that for a second. So you're, so you're working for Westphalia Motors. You leave there. I leave there. And go to... Now, Gene Berg had his shop already open then? He had a shop already open then on Lime Street. The same place it is now? No, it's on Lemon Street. (laughs) There's a citrus connection there, and it's it's indirectly. They're probably uh, three miles apart, but still. um, Yeah, and and, uh, I had come to know Gene. By going down to Dino Dinosaurs, because when when we were the Panzers, we went to everywhere. We always went back up to Empey, and then we'd go see Dean at uh, Dino Dinosaurs because he'd left Empey. Yeah, you know, and uh, and then Gene came down from Washington and was going to be partners with uh, Dean in the dinosaur deal, and that didn't work out for whatever reasons. I don't even need to go through all the jive, sure, sure. Know? That's that's just people. That's, so, but it's but, but it's interesting because his original reason for coming down from Washington to SoCal was to venture into this VW business because he was maybe. I mean, and kind of how does that connection? Were you guys hearing about a guy that was building fast stuff up there in Washington, and then he well, connected with Dean? Gene Gene was a parts guy making parts. He was an innovator. 
Yeah. I mean, he, he was the guy that came up with the idea of the power pulley, and he came down here and he had a company that's no longer in business called Santana Machine. Yeah. They made the first power pulleys, and if anybody gets their hand on a Santana Machine power pulley, it's like gold. It's so, a very collectible thing. So Santana Machine was the name of Gene's first company? No, it was the name of the company that made the power pulley. Oh, so he... But Gene's he, company was Gene Berg mm-hmm. up in Seattle, a Renton. Excuse me, Renton, Washington. Yeah. And he had a dragster called Little Bit Quick. Mm-hmm. And I, I met Gene, of course, down here. I'd heard of him in Washington. Yeah. Never had conversation or anything till he was down here. And uh, I thought he was a, really a nice guy and, and really had a, uh, uh, an engineering mind and uh, was a real innovator. And for whatever reason, him and Dean... Uh, started off kind of being together but there were conflicts and so gene left and opened his own shop down here because yeah. he'd moved everything down here yeah that's a pretty know? big that's a pretty big uh layout yeah, it's a big long ways and then here here he's down here but but anyway he hired me and that was really good because there i was in the middle of a of a store that was not just a regular automotive repair place it was a hot rod shop. Yeah. And, and we were doing uh, motors, and, and uh, I was doing a little cylinder head work. Matter of fact, I was taught by Gene to port heads, and I got to use the flow bench. And uh, later when we opened uh, Fleming and Aronson High Performance is what we called it first. Yeah. I did all the cylinder head work. And then Greg, who came to work at Gene Berg's because he was in the club, Greg Aronson, yeah. who's the owner of the very – well-known and famous white car yeah um which was by the way was gray and root beer colored long before it was white a lot of people don't know that so that cover that that cover is what what issue is that that's uh 19 is that a 72 is that issue out in 72 yeah something like that uh that was when jim holmes owned it yeah and jim holmes was on the cover with it the famous picture of him holding his hands up because the car's too low. Because back in the day, we used to get pulled over all the time for three things. Too low, no front license plate, and exhaust too loud. Yeah, so that... They, now, nowadays, they don't care. And they didn't even bother with They'd it. bring a measuring tape out to your headlights and see how far... Correct, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And it was supposed to be 24 inches from the ground to the center of the headlight. Yeah, and most of us were around between seventeen and eighteen inches. Oh, so your cars are sitting pretty low. And then, what were you oh, guys? Yeah. Were they making tires that small back then, or did you guys have to go like find real oddball tires to get the skinnies in the front and stuff like that? Well, we got one forty fives back in the day. They were making one forty fives, right? Plus, of course, we took torsion bars out and/or used a selected drop. The problem with the selected drop was that your car became rigid. It was like having a hardtail harley up front right because when you pulled it down then it didn't move it didn't go over bumps and, and that's kind of how the know. select drop worked it just pulled the that's, front suspension that's down correct it yeah. was like it was no different than throwing uh, cement bags in the front of the car correct it was just yank it down yeah so um so at this time you're so you're working for berg for a little bit and then you yep. meet greg now did you know greg did you so you know greg from the club and then he comes to work at gene berg well, he, he came to join the club. I was already in, so I got to vote on him, and I thought he was a 
a good kid. We called him, ended up calling him Youngie because he was one of the youngest guys. Um, I was, uh, and well, I am um, four and a half years older than him. Right. So, so when he came into the club, by this time I'm around twenty, and so he's like almost seventeen. Yeah. And we called him Youngie, but just a just nice a guy. Still is a nice guy. I mean, um, I wouldn't have been in business with him for almost 50 years if he wasn't a nice guy. Right. So anyway, I beat him, and Gene says to me, hey, we need to do some trannies. And I said, well, I got a guy, a friend in the club, because uh, Greg did trannies. Yeah. He, he, he worked at a couple of um, foreign auto parts stores. I wish I could remember the name of the one he worked at, but anyway, he was doing gearboxes for, and he was ended up doing a lot of the guys in the club. Um, funny little side note. I built Greg Aronson's first motor for him. <laughs> We'd go into business later on nice. building motors together. That's <laughs> so, funny. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he comes to work for Gene Berg. We're there for about two years and and we decide that we're going to go out on our own. We're going to go working. And we start off by working in Greg's parents' garage. Yeah. Which was, we would we had engine stands, two of them, that went into holes in the concrete we made inside the garage and workbenches. Yeah. And then we put all our stuff out. But the key was that by a little after five, when his parents got home from work, it had to be their garage again. So it was. So we'd it was, have to make everything disappear. It was a shop by day, and then by five p.m., it was it was a, it was a usable garage. garage. So and, and the funny thing is, uh, the cops who we knew all the cops in Anaheim around there, they'd come by and they finally said, "You guys have to get a building." And I said, "Well, why? You know, that's like really working." No, nope. you need a building. I I just we don't understand. And the guy came said, "Come to the garage door." And we look outside, and there's three or four cars jacked up with no motor and he goes we can't have this <laughs> so you guys so at this time back back in this time vw's yep. are super popular in southern california it's the car to have like everybody you knows got one and then they then their buddy gets a fast one and now you got a line of people looking for engines is that what kind of the scene that's going on very much so and as a matter of fact if my kids ever listen to this podcast i'll deny that i said there was some other types of racing going on yeah around the streets at the time and uh and we had a lot of fun with that because this was at the time that Volkswagens were getting faster. Yeah. But the whole V8 crowd wasn't in tune to it yet. So, so there had, was some there was were, some fleecing going on, shall I say. So, yeah, yeah. Cause, you know, when I, I mean, when I'm street racing, you know, 25, uh, 25 years ago in my Volkswagen, I had a little 19, a little 1904, and I'd go up to the top of the street races. All of a sudden, the, v, the, the V8 guys were like, well, you know, uh, Instead of a VW guy saying, well, you got to spot me two lengths, you know, spot me two lengths and give me the go or whatever the case is. Once or twice, they see it, the street races do that and it's game over. All of a sudden, they're wanting to get spots. They want to the leave. They want all that stuff. Right, but right. Yeah, it, I got to have that go. I'd have to have a car and the go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think that's, you know, it, it, that's pretty awesome because, I mean, I think there's only one time in history when you can show up next to, uh, you know, a Chevelle or uh, you know, a Corvette or an Impala with a 409 or whatever, and you can kind of creep up on it, blow its doors off, and before long, all of a sudden, the guys start saying, "Watch out for these guys, these little, these little German cars." Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, there was a 
really nice guy, and we called him Diamond Jim, and he was in a uh, Mopar club, and he kind of adopted us, and he would um, arrange races for us, <laughs> <laughs> so to speak, yeah. and we would go out and meet up, and, and it was a lot of fun. And, of course, it was all about power to weight. You Absolutely. Know? We, we had street cars that would make anywhere from 150 to really badass ones that would make close to 200. And when you have that in a 1500 or so pound car and, and you know how to drive it. So you don't burn the tires. You don't just dump it. You just kind of roll out and go They're They're smoking their tires and you're gone. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, talking about that, I I probably ought to get this in. Uh, I've been having, I have had drag race cars in VWs over the years. I had one that everybody will remember called the underdog. Yeah. Um, it was orange and it was very simple. Very no, a- a- absolutely. So uh, we're, we're going to get to that and say, we got time. We're not in any rush. This is a long form okay. podcast. These things normally go about an hour and a half at least. And people really, really enjoy the detail of the stories. So I just want to paint the okay. picture for those listening to podcasts right sure. now. So it's, we're talking, this is early seventies now, early seventies, Southern yeah, California. We, we opened fat. It was actually Fleming and Aronson. In July of 71. So July of 71, you guys opened Fat Performance. You move out of the garage. You open Fat Performance. And then street racing is, I mean, you know, I've been there. Once you start street racing, you just really get hooked. And your goal is just get out there, meet some cars in the street, try to take a few bucks if you can. But it's always kind of the thrill of like the unsuspecting deal. And so then you guys build Fat Performance. Is the decision to build a drag car just because you want to drive a car, or also, hey, we'll build a drag car and have some advertising out there? Well, I got lucky. I wanted a drag car, and Doug Gordon, who's left the earth, dear friend, he had a street car in the Panzers, and the orange car that you see as the underdog. And we used to go, I built him a motor, and we used to go to the drag strip, and Doug was a big guy. Doug went... uh, uh, somewhere in the close to 300 pound range. Yeah. So we'd get to Lions Drag Strip. Uh huh. This was before there was an OCIR. Right. And we'd get to Lions Drag Strip, and he'd ask me to drive it because he said if I drive it, it doesn't go very fast. And I'd built him a pretty nice motor, 78 by 92, you know, a couple of Weber carburetors on it, and uh, so I'd drive it for him and. And he really enjoyed it. And then one day we were coming back from Lyons. We went to his parents' house and just sitting around having, I think at that time we were probably just having a soda pop, you know? Yeah. And Doug says, you know, we really need to go racing. I said, well, we just did. He goes, no, 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 no. I mean, we need to go eye gas racing. You want to turn my street car into a race car? He goes, you drive, I pay. I said, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't beat that deal, right? <laughs> so that same day, we started pulling the interior out of the car and started taking things, made a big pile of what was out and what we were going to do, kind of drew up a framework, and less than 30 days later, we had a race car. That's awesome. And, and so you, you get a race car, and what is the first race you go? So you, So now you title the car Underdog, obviously, because – it's, well, we think of that we're the little guy in terms of modified eliminator and NHRA, you know. Yeah, so you're uh, you're racing NHRA at this time. Right, right. And it's modified eliminator, which means you you race your class and the winner of your class goes against 
I think it was, there's about 32 different classes, everything from a gas all the way down to little gassers like us, I gas, H gas, and they're all based on pounds per cubic inch and they all got rules and we're all within the rules. And uh, um, anyway, and the first race I went to was the Winter Nationals. So they're at this time they're not doing there's there's no such thing as VW drag racing right now. It's like if you well, want to drag race, is. you've there got is. to go to and do NHRA events. No, but there is because the Panzers we put on the Carlsbad drag races, and and the first bug in was uh, 1968, I believe. So we're going as a club, okay? okay. But but in terms of having a pro race car. Well, it wasn't very long after that I had a pro race car. We had the race car before we ever opened that. I was still, um, uh, I mean, Greg and I, I was still working at Gene Berg when we, before we, when we turned on the race car. When we oh, yeah. Doug Gordon's car. Into, but, but the first race I went to, this is really interesting. There was probably half a dozen eye gassers then in the day. The inch pincher. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Little Giant Killer, which was Richard Bay's Fiat, mm-hmm. uh, the Anderson Brothers, um, Schley was racing H Gas, so was Dean, which was a um, lesser weights p- pounds per inch. Anyway, <laughs> I draw Richard Bay's first round of I Gas. Yeah. First time. I'm at Pomona. Uh, there's probably, oh, I don't know. 20,000 people in the stands. Really? And I'm like freaking out, you know. It's really like, this is like everything I've done up to this point has been fun racing, street racing, bracket racing, not really NHRA pro racing. Sure. You know, even though we're not the big show, the funny cars and all that of the big show. But right. We, <laughs> I pull up there and I stage the car and I accidentally roll in too deep and i put out the pre-stage light which is okay but i don't think that i go "Uh uh-oh so i put it in reverse gear and as soon as i get in reverse gear and start to back up a little bit the trees activate oh no the tree comes down i go from reverse to first almost without a clutch let her fly richard bays beats me and i go almost two tenths quicker than him wow it was a lesson well learned. Yeah, absolutely. A lesson well learned. <laughs> so the first time, so the first time you run the drag car, what what kind of times are you running? Uh, the the record at that time was twelve thirty two. Daryl mm-hmm. set the record, and we were running like twelve forty. Richard Bays ran like twelve sixty or twelve fifties. Yeah. Uh, eventually we would all work and get the record and I guess down to around 1180 and at this time 1181 and at this time NHRA has its own separate class for Volkswagens the I guess or it's just it's it's not necessarily Volkswagens could be any foreign car with the same displacement and weight yeah it's uh um uh let's see the I guess uh, car the I guess yeah class. it's uh uh what was it 13, no, 11 pounds per inch. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it uh, has to be uh, no overhead cams. Uh, uh, the rules go on and on. But there's almost any foreign car could fit in it that fit in the rules. But it was a Volkswagen class. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, Richard Bay's Fiat 
was the exception. It had a eighteen hundred cc Porsche motor in it. Oh, he wow. did a pretty good job, but but twelve thirty was about as quick as that thing ever went. Yeah, because there's so much more you could do with a Volkswagen motor. And so after the underdog car, then you guys have uh, is, is after that. So how long do you run the underdog car for? I run the underdog car for about uh, three, maybe four years, and then I crash it. Pretty bad on crash. A Wednesday, on a Wednesday night at Orange County. Um, uh, Thursday night, qualifying for the points meet. Yeah. And I'm really, really excited because we're really running good. But uh, something happened, and to this day, I was in the story in Hot VWs magazine about flying VWs. And, and to this day, I can't tell you what happened, but the car came around on me, was like way gone, backwards, upside down. And because in those days, uh, you didn't have to have a um, roll bar and in a, in a, had a um, steel body, all steel body. So it slid on the top, flattened up the top, came to a stop. I won the race. <laughs> it was an A-gas Corvette. I was qualifying against but uh i couldn't return obviously right because the roof was all flattened out so that kind of junked that then we rebuilt the car the underdog 2 which was white with red and blue kind of design on it scallop design so the original car was junked like you guys just trashed it well the body was we took the body off got another body and so back in the day when when you crash a car that took any kind of welding or like that you guys just figured out just junk it we'll just get another one yeah, yeah, because, you know, you could get them. Absolutely. Easy. Yeah, get them for 50 bucks, 100 bucks, you know. Yeah, let me tell you a story that I'm ashamed of. Greg and I used to build big motors for guys. Yeah. With their oval windows and stuff and trannies, you know, tunnel case trannies and 2180s because that back in the day was the bad size. Right. And we'd take them 36-horse matching number motors and throw them in the dumpster. Complete. We could. Complete. Complete. Don't forget the mushroom wanted, air cleaner. Get that in there too. Who wanted that motor? You know. <laughs> hey, you oh, know. Did, oh, I wish I could have them all back now. But you know, the funny perspective is, you know, I, I have a fifty-one split window. A lot of people don't uh, believe it because it's been uh, it's been in the body shop for a little while. So, buddy's got that down in uh, Phoenix, but. When I bought that car, uh, Buddy Hale, yeah, true craftsman. I, I learned two things when I bought my 51 split window. One, don't ever ask a guy from Michigan if the car is rust free because yeah. in Michigan, their idea of rust free is completely There's no different. Such thing. Yeah. <laughs> and second, uh, buy the one you want instead of just buying the first one you come across. So, uh, I bought this car, and I remember I pulled the numbers matching 51 split window engine out of it, and it didn't have, you know, the, the fan tread wasn't correct, no correct air cleaner, but it was mostly complete motor, and yeah. I put the motor, I was going to the Kelly Park VW show, and I drove my single cab there, or my crew cab, my carbon cab, I drove that there to uh, Kelly Park from, um, like, from Clovis, California, and I, yeah. I put on the Samba that I was selling that and I'd be at Kelly Park. So some guy, I said, a thousand bucks for this original 51 split window motor need, doesn't have a few correct pieces. And I drive there, I sell the motor to this guy and I'm standing there in line at uh, Mark Merrill's open house. And ah, yes. the guy, this, I hear this guy behind me is like, man, dude, this guy had no idea what he had. I bought his 51 split window engine for a thousand bucks and blah, blah, blah. And I turned around and I said, hey, I sold you the motor. And I know what it is. 
But for me, a thousand bucks is better than throwing it in the trash. And I said yeah, right. to you, you got a good right. deal. I said, but the difference is I'm not going crazy and overcharging you for it. So you got a good deal. I got a good deal. But to me, the first time I drove my split window and I had to downshift to get on the freeway on ramp, I was like, yeah, this is, this is not going to work for me. So, yeah, right. and, and so when that car debuts, which I'm hoping that car, it would be great for that car to debut in 2019. Um, but that has a fat motor in it that you guys built for me. Well, I'm going to say about six years ago, you guys built that motor 2,600. Yeah. It was yeah, one, it was one of the U S Navy motors. And, yeah. uh, and that's the motor that's in my split window along with the Mendiola chassis and all that stuff. So hopefully that car will come out here in the next little bit in the future. But, uh, yeah, no, um, I tell you that those motors, sometimes you just have, you just have them sitting there and you're like, what are you going to do with this? Because you can't use the case, can't use the heads. There's really nothing you can use unless you need a right. motor to run a generator, you know? Right. Well, I tell people, I say, the only thing that makes those motors valuable is if you're into the vintage scene and you want a numbers matching this and all that, because otherwise they ain't worth it. You know, nobody wants to row it down the road, you yeah. know, and getting on the freeway. And the whole idea about the freeway is merging and matching speeds. They don't make the on-ramps long enough for 36s. Now, now let me, that. now let me ask you this question. So in the early days of you guys, hot rod and VWs, where are you getting your taller gears and your aftermarket gears from? Are you stealing them from other models of VWs that they have? Or or like, how are you gearing no, up the trannies? And- no, Gene Berg, the same Gene Berg was the our hero because he made close ratio gears. So we had third and fourth that the motor would still pull and turn RPMs. Right. Uh, I can remember a great story of Greg and I in the club going to the San Diego Zoo. And we had to stop halfway at that viewpoint that's down uh, before La Jolla yeah. because we're going down the road at 55 miles an hour and the motor's going 4,800 RPM. Yeah. Yeah. It's we're turning, you know, almost 5,000 RPM and fourth gear. We're only going 55, but that's cool because it's going fast enough and it'll run 7,000 in high gear. Right. But on the street, Eh, not so good, but we were crazy. We were young. So Berg, and, uh, so Berg was the guy that made the first close ratio gears. The close ratio gears, and the first ones were made by a company that made helicopter rotor drives. So they didn't give a dang about quiet running and silence. Right. They were noisy as hell, but they were great. Yeah. You know, you'd hit third gear and the thing would pull just like second gear and put it in high gear and here we go again. Wah! Now, let me ask this question, too. So at that time, so you're you're in it in the 60s and 70s. Yep. But and at this time, nobody's doing the Okrasa kits like that's old technology. Nobody's doing that. That's like a cold air intake compared to what you're doing now in the 70s, because everybody started with a 1600 block. Well, they they were still making, you know, Okrasis made stuff from the very beginnings. It made they made stuff for 36ers. They made stuff for 40 horse. And then when the 1500 mm-hmm. came along, you know, in like the big 67. Block. And yeah, or, or in a little earlier in the type threes, they made cranks for them. And the famous one was the 78.4. Mm-hmm. And before that, we had 82s. We used SPG rollers. So tell me about SPG rollers. So what, so, you know, I have one, I have a 69 millimeter because they made 69 and 82s, I guess. Is that that's my well, understanding? Well, they actually they actually made 
69s. They made um, 78s. No, nobody. I always told people, why buy a 78 when you can buy an 82? 82. But they made 69s. They made 74s, 78s, and 82s. But eventually, they dropped everything but the 69 and the 82 because who wants all that little stuff in between? So tell you me know, this. Like, Tell me the story on using SBG cranks. Like what? So that comes out. Obviously, it comes out. Roller bearing crank. Man, we can rev this thing to fifty thousand RPM. This thing should be bulletproof and last forever. What's the experience like when you guys start using the SBG cranks? Well, the first guys that used them didn't figure out that you got to do something so that they don't unindex. Right. You know, a roller crank is a bunch of parts, and they chill one side and warm another, and they set them in a fixture and go. Mwah! shove them all together so they're they 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 kind of press them together they press them together but they chill the pen side and heat the receiver side on the counterweight and boom they push them all together and when i say chill they used uh um, nitroglycerin nitrogen or whatever i mean they really made them cold and really warmed them up so they put them together so you either when we everybody figured it out we had a big business. We'd either, we'd weld them. We'd reach in and weld, you know. And somebody yeah. say, well, if you weld them, you can't take them apart. And that's not true. You can grind the weld off. You can take them apart. But you just them. put a little tab weld on there to keep the crank together? So so it doesn't unindex. And so so give me the first time you see that happening in drag racing. Like a guy's doing a, a 6,000 RPM launch and just stops the All motor. All of a sudden it goes. Really? It bends, it bends one of the rods. And it stops. Wow. Because it unindexes and bends the rod. Now, that happens on a launch. If it happens to you in high gear, you got everything's junk. It's all it's all no it's good. It's junk. Yeah. So so how long just, do the how long do people run the SBGs for? What's what's the timeline SBGs come out? They come out or mid seventies and run to the early eighties well, or they come out in the late uh, late sixties, early seventies, mm-hmm. the ones that we're interested in. And, uh, and, and, and Impy, again, Impy's the, the, the company. Impy, Impy brought Ocrasa stuff into the country. Impy brought SPG stuff in the country. And then, of course, everybody jumps on it. And, and sooner or later, everybody's bringing stuff in. Sure. <coughs> Excuse me. But Impy, Impy, Joe Batone and Impy was the godfather of Hot Rod VW parts. Yeah, and if you wanted fast stuff, you just go to Impy. And then, and then Gene Berg's down the street engineering and designing and developing parts and saying like hey look at that crankshaft pulled apart i'm gonna make a quality crankshaft and i'm gonna do you know because gene seemed to be like his whole premise behind gene berg was build performance that goes a hundred thousand miles yeah in some ways he was very conservative in some ways he was very intuitive and 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 a great engineering mind um some of the things he said you should never do, we do t- today with great regularity, you know, because we've made them better. Right. We've made the parts better. I guess the best example I can give you is when I had a race car called the Underdog. Yeah. And I ran high 11s mm-hmm. and I would shift that thing at about 7,200 RPM. Yeah. The current race car I have right now, I pull the shift lever around 8,800. Wow. And I turn it 9,300 through the lights. So that's a result of better parts, yeah. better engineering, uh, better cylinder heads especially because we can flow a lot more air. Yeah. So uh, 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 
uh, internal combustion engine is nothing but a um, air pump with a little fuel thrown in to make it interesting. So yeah, um, things have gotten better. I, I don't I don't mean that as a, a diss on Gene. Oh it's no, just no. Like he said, no, you never want to run 92s. The cylinder wall's not thick enough. You'll have cylinder head leaks. And well, in the day. Yeah, he was kind of correct. So you had to be careful. Well, sure. the parts are made better now. So we do big is the size. When people say, I have a current street car now, I call it Sunny. Yeah. It's a 60 rag top. If you saw it, it's beautiful. It's pearl white, uh, meaning the original German color. It actually looks beige. And it has, uh, people say, it has Porsche alloy wheels and the body's been off. The pan is powder painted and it's got disc brakes and a, uh, lowered front end uh, done with spindles and everything. A car drives and works beautiful. He'll say, what size motor do you have? I go, what do you mean what size? There's only one size, you know, 2332, right. 8494, baby. Yeah. You know? But actually, we build them bigger. I'm building, or I was, I was building three-liter motors, you know? Three-liter type so, ones in aftermarket uh, cases. Yeah, and, and three-liter type fours. And so... You know? We're, so currently, our, our timeline where we're in right now is m- mid to late seventies uh, SBG cranks. Those are coming out. Some of the no, no mid, mid late sixty mid to late sixties and on through the middle of the seventies. And by this time, we're using other cranks. There's still SBGs around, but but the demand's not so great because sure. there are there are forged. This is the early days of, uh, you can get a Crassas. And the Crassas were forged cranks? Yeah. I have another hero I want to put his name out here. I had my own hero in Inglewood. His name was Earl McMills. Yeah. And Earl McMills was a, we and, I met him and, and uh, uh, we knew him in the Panzers and we told nobody about him. Because you go to his garage at his home in Inglewood, yeah. and there would be box after box of Acrasa crankshafts, um, um, Molly, viral pistons and cylinders, really? like Impy had, but but Earl sold them at reasonable prices to us. And oh yeah, and people would say, "Where you get all your hot rod parts?" Or, oh, you know, Impy like everybody else, right? Uh, Earl McMills, and he's no longer with us. Bless you, Earl. He was. Oh, he was the guy. So he was, was kind of the guy. guy importing stuff on his own. Yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah. Getting, getting it to all the street guys. Oh, yeah. So yeah, you guys. He was a good friend of Bill Taylor. I have to say that Bill Taylor turned me on to him. And Bill Taylor's no longer with us. Uh, yeah. So anyway. we're, we're kind of mid-70s now. You guys started Fat Performance. At, yeah, in July of 71. Yeah. Walk me through when you see kind of the sh- so at some point, and I'm thinking like it's early '80s where the street scene starts to kind of be a little bit. I don't want to. I don't want to say milk toast, but it's like everybody feels like the engineering is kind of where it's going to be, and then off road starts to. When do you start? When do you guys start doing off road motors and stuff? Okay, so let, let me bring us up to date with the club in this time too. Sure. The club has been together since 1965. It started out as a social club called Volkswagens Limited. It then became more of a car club and became Decliner Panzers. Who came up with and the name? Gar- Gary Huggins came up with the name. Yeah. He is on the members. Then I came along, and I turned the direction to 
hot rod drag race and the eventuality of the car, uh, the cow look, which, by the way, was involved around six, seven, eight of us and grew to be everybody in the club. Right. Got to be if, if, you know, you didn't show up with a multicolored wild flame candy apple paint job and get in the panzers it's like there's another club for that buddy You're, yeah like you, you guys <laughs> are us. you guys are all business yeah we're all basic colors um no, nothing very gaudy and if it was a drag racing part we came upon the the brm wheel yeah empty mm-hmm. and and we went nuts not because we thought it looked like an iron cross like people say not because we thought it was cool looking even though it was but because you pick one up and it's like, uh oh, doesn't weigh anything. Look at this unsprung weight. Yeah, got to have these. Yeah. So they they were all through the club, and in those days, shamefully, you could buy a brand new BRM for forty four ninety five, which forty five dollars, a lot of money in those days. So. Forty five for one wheel or for a set? Yeah, okay. one, one wheel. One wheel, forty five bucks. Yeah. But but the weight savings, you're probably saving ten pounds a wheel. Oh, easily. Yeah, easily. And that's, yeah. a, that's a lot of rotating mass. It makes a big difference crossing the finish line. That's exactly right. And they and made them, they, they only had them in one size back then, or they had them in two sizes? Just one size. So they were all, they were all like five inch wide? Five and a half. Five and a half. They're all five and a half. So anyway, let, 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 me, uh, let me damn the only Irish Mexican ever in the club. His name was Billy Arroyo, and we called him Wee Willie Arroyo. Yeah. Because. Wee Willie Arroyo ruined the BRM for us. And he did that by going out in his garage and figuring out that with a little brasso and steel wool, he could make the thing look beautiful. Oh, really? You know? So, which is all great, but you know what happens when you make it look beautiful? The next day it looks terrible again. Right. <laughs> you got to go back out there and clean it up again. <laughs> they grow hair overnight. So, yeah. So, of course, now we have to spend our Friday nights instead of cruising at Big Carl's in the parking lot, dressing up our wheels so then we could go out. And if they became foggy, we were ruined anyway. But yeah, Willie Arroyo, dang you. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. So, so, and also, around what year in DKP do they start the top 10 and who starts the top 10? Oh, the top 10 bar was put up there by myself and Mahaffey. Mike Mahaffey, the world's fastest split window back in the day. Yeah. Uh, I built him a 2180, and that thing was bad. I mean, it was really bad. Here's a street car that um, would run 1198. Wow. VW. Yeah, that's bad in those days. Yeah, 1198. 1198 uh, is still fast today in a, in a street bug? Oh, of course. Of course it is. Um Anyway, he was number one, <laughs> so of course he was all about starting it. Sure. And then Greg was on it, and Dave Dolan, um, Don Crane. Don Crane was a guy who uh, I have great Don Crane stories. I'm not sure I can tell them all, but <laughs> he, uh, he, he, uh, his parents were pretty well off. We'd we'd meet at his house, and we were going to go buy some hot rod parts. And on the way out of the house, his mom would say, "Here, here's a little money for you. Don't say anything to your dad." And he'd go by his dad on the other side of the house and way out, and his dad would go, you all right? Need money? He goes, yeah, well, I was going to buy. And so his dad would hand him money, and I'd look nice. at him and go, damn. That kid's got it made. Yeah. We'd go buy Weber carburetors. Yeah. We used to go buy 48 IDAs. We would buy um, for 
was a lot of money in those days. It was uh, $62.50. It was $125 for a pair of them. And if we bought four, instead of um, um, instead of two, two instead of two fifty, they'd give us to them for two twenty five. Get out of here! Buy four. And these were brand new in the box. Brand new Italian forty eight IDA. And where were you buying those from? A uh, Carol Shelby. Get out of here! He so, was the importer. So you're buying. Hold on. So you're he buying them for Cobras. You're buying forty eight IDAs from Carol Shelby down there, and he's where was he at? Long Beach or Pasadena or where's he at? Oh, oh, it's um, oh, what is it? It's out there near um, near where the um, the Goodyear Blimp thing is. Yeah. Uh, it's not Long Beach. Uh, that was his original location. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So you're buying carburetors from Gene Berg, or not Gene Berg, but Carol Shelby. Carol Shelby. And <laughs> and he's like, who are these wacky VW guys coming to get these carburetors? What are they putting them yeah. on? Yeah. And 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 how about this? In those days, you actually could talk to Carol Shelby. <laughs> Would you ever challenge to, to see if you wanted to run one of them Cobras? No, no, no. Cobras were still pretty badass. And so the Cobras were fast. The Cobras were yeah, all business. He was really more into, he was a road race guy. He wasn't yeah. really a drag race guy. No, absolutely. So, so you buy, yeah. so, so I mean, and that may, that's an interesting thing that maybe some people don't know that you guys are buying, buying stuff from, uh, you know, Carol Shelby. I mean, I talked to Burley Burlisle. I had him on the podcast last week. And, yeah, I uh, saw a little bit of that. That was very cool. Yeah. And he told me that, uh, you know, when he wrecked his first, uh, buggy that he borrowed the nose cone off of Carol Shelby's transmission for his little dune buggy or something like that. So, it seemed like there was some overlap with, with with the whole Southern California racing scene, where guys are kind of and the VW guys having to be really in, in, uh, resourceful and finding other places and locations to get more power, or bigger carburetors. You know, and so at this time, you guys are you guys are going down, getting buying forty eights. Is anybody making manifolds for those? Is, yeah, Gene Berg, magnesium ones. So Gene Berg made was the first guy to make forty eight IDA manifolds. He was a parts maker. I mean, the first one was. Impy, the yeah. tall ones, mm-hmm. th- those were, but Gene made shorter, better flowing manifolds and he made them out of magnesium. And uh, here we go again, they're lighter. Yeah, <laughs> less know? weight, less weight, absolutely. Yeah, we're all about less weight. You uh, know? Everything Which matters. Is, back in the day, on my 56 oval window with, uh, at the time, about 170 horsepower. Yeah. With a full tank of gas, weighed fifteen hundred and fifty pounds. Wow! And what it run the corner? Um, it was a um, about twelve thirty something. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And so, so we're so now we're up to what mid seventies. The the clubs the clubs kind of now the club went through a couple iterations yeah okay so the club is starting to wane as far as the original guys mm-hmm. because we're all getting older a lot of them are married having kids uh, Greg and I are starting a business which the club was great for our business but it's waning so we're looking around and we're heading into the eighties and and we decide to go off road racing building off road race motors because. We started out by doing dune buggy stuff. Yeah. You know, because the sand buggy scene was grown by leaps and bounds back in those days. Sure. And everybody built sand buggies out of Volkswagen parts. <coughs> They're readily available. You could have pretty good power and everything. And nobody hardly was using big V8s and stuff for sand buggies or off-road racing 
other than in trucks because the buggies weren't big enough, the suspensions weren't sophisticated enough yet. Um, for example, all through the 80s, we dominated Class 1 with big type 4s. Yeah. I mean, we just killed them. Oh, yeah. We won championship after championship. I mean, it was it was fun time at FAT, let me tell you. We were... We were really doing it. So anyway, my buddy Jim Barbeau out here had a class. Uh, he had a type. I remember he had, the name. He had a big Type Four in a black car that he had out here. That he used the guy that that it, that made the bedliners was the guy that they built cars for at Desert Racing Performance out here. And uh, I Butch remember, Dean. Yeah, yeah, and Butch Dean's out here. Yeah, and so uh, <laughs> you know we see a lot of we see a lot of those Type Four motors and stuff that we've seen when when I started looking at. You know, I get I get in the in the street racing thing in the in the early '90s and stuff, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, hey, why aren't guys using these big Type Fours, man? These things are big three liter motors, but they were so expensive and outpriced on versus a street motor. But uh, yeah, no, I I remember seeing the the unlimited class Type Four motor cars. So so anyway, we're building sand buggies. So let's back up the start of it, and a guy comes to us. Um. Uh, and he has a company, Safeway Plumbing, and uh, uh, his son wants to off-road race, and they want to. We build him. In those days, it was called Class Nine, yeah. And it was a hot rod, forty horse, by rule, had to run uh, a single two barrel. Didn't care what two barrel, um, had to be a forty horse based motor, and. Uh, um, Unlimited to what you could do the heads. Anyway, there wasn't there wasn't that much horsepower, but it was a hundred horse, let's say, and, sure. it, and it worked okay. So we go to our first off-road race in Barstow, and out in Barstow they started down by the highway and and where the outlet malls are now. Yeah, there was nothing, just the course, and it would run across that for about a mile or so up the hill and then drop off over the hill and go on the course. And they had a number of courses. Excuse me, in Barstow. So Greg and I are about three-quarters of a mile away from the start, and here comes this kid going, and I'll do the sound effect the best I can. He's going over rough ground. He's going... And because when he flies in the air, he doesn't take his foot out of it. Right, he's got a foot foot to the floor. I look at Greg and I say, we're effed. We'll never see this again. Right. This guy's done. He won the race. Really? And that was the beginning. And I want to give credit here, because I don't always get a chance to, to a lot of people who we did motors for who were really good, because our old list of customers reads like a who's who in the desert today. I'll believe in it. pro trucks, and uh, Robbie Gordon, and Bob Gordon, and Jimmy Johnson, and Larry Ragland, and... Marty Lettner, and, uh, and I'm not even hitting on all of them, but there's so many guys who were good. And if you were good and you could read the desert, Rob McCachron. Yeah. Rob McCachron, we dominated 1600 while he raced it for 10 years in a row. Yeah, Rob McCachron, local boy here. Yeah, good guy. Yeah. Good guy. No, that's, I mean, and that's kind of the, where, what I think that's kind of where you guys evolved into in fat performance, right? The street scene was kind of there, but that became more some of the other guys because the meat and potatoes of it was the street guys kind of bellyache about the money. And then the off-road guys don't really, most of those off-road guys are using it as a tax write-off for advertising for their business and they're running, 
you know, they're sponsoring their own race cars and doing that kind of stuff because it's not a poor man's sport off-road racing. I mean, it's... Yeah, two, two truisms I'll tell you about. One is, I always said, we don't build motors. We build big boy toys. That's right. Because <laughs> everybody that wants to go off-road racing, for the most part, has a construction business or a plumbing business or like Tommy Bradley and, you know, oh, uh, yeah. Glass. and Bradley Glass, know. yep. Yeah, we had plenty of guys in Vegas. Oh, yeah. And they came out of Vegas to us like, well, for a number of reasons, but most of all, we did a good job. Yeah. But the other truism about it, when you build somebody a street motor, you get paid, bye-bye, see ya. When you build an off-road motor for somebody, it's just the beginning because they go out there and beat the crap out of them. Yeah. And they got to bring it back. Yeah. And you don't make nearly as much money when you build it as you do maintaining it later. Sure, sure. Because every thousand miles... That thing better come apart because it r runs in the most terrible environment you could imagine. Sure. And a lot of them guys are mess up their air cleaner or roll the car over, you know, or, or whatever. You know, if you think about a crash, you know, where the guy endos the car seven or eight times and the motor hits the ground, you know, half a dozen times. Yeah. It ain't pretty. Sure. You know? Sure. I'm, so, I'm sure you've seen some pretty some pretty roached out motors at the end of races. Oh, plus, I always had a statement. We always had a statement. We'll never be the reason you don't make your next race. Right. So in the early days, we would work on into the night. You know, there were times you could drop by fat at two in the morning and it's like, are we getting out of here now? Yeah. OK, I think we're ready. All right. Yeah. It probably doesn't help you know. that the racers show up about two weeks before the race and drop their cars off. Yeah. You, you, no matter how much you coach them. You know, that still happened. But like I said, we won't keep you from your fun. Now, during that time when you guys were building, so, so the evolution goes from building street motors to building off-road motors. What makes yeah, you well, guys? In, in that evolution, too, we did a lot of VW drag car motors. Yeah. Uh, there'd be a time when there'd be four or five drag cars at the shop because we were doing motor stuff for them. Who were you doing motors for? Anybody that... Oh, uh, Oh, um, Hugh Kelly, um, um, uh, Jerry, uh, his car was a black widow, a, a black guy, really nice guy. I have a really interesting story about how he wanted to pay for a motor one time. And I'm not going to tell you, oh, God, uh, you, can't, you can't tease <laughs> us in podcast land like that. Okay. Okay. So here it is. The motor's all done. He's really happy. Mm -hmm. He goes to the back of his car and I don't know what Jerry did for a living. And he opened the trunk and there was grocery bags full of money and he hand me one he goes i think that's about enough and i go wait let me count it and everything he goes nah that's okay so then he throws open the door in the back of his cadillac yeah and there are three beautiful long-legged women in there he goes you want one of these i go no Jerry, that's, okay. that's okay he goes no no he goes take two if you want i go no 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 this money's fine i said but well, I'll let you know, I count the money, and it was almost $4,000 too much. And I called him, and he wouldn't answer. And I finally called him. He goes, what's up? You bother me. I told him it was too much money. He goes, no, that's a tip. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, I guess that's the Jerry, good old days. wherever you are, brother, I hope you're still walking and talking. That's it. Oh, that's, that's, I mean, that's classic, man. Where are you going to hear story. that? Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> So as you guys take this evolution, the, so you guys start a business, people start getting families, the club starts to dwindle a little bit, which is typical. Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, it actually kind of fades out of existence. From what years? By, by, 19, by 1980, there is no DKP. Okay. 
Then, and here I am jumping around, sorry. No, it's okay. Then somewhere around the middle of the 80s, two or three guys come to me. Um, Roger Grego, I think, was one of them. Um, boy, you know, I'm sorry. We're dealing with 73 years of gray matter. But <laughs> yeah, no worries. Two or three guys. Yeah. And they tell me the story. Hey, we would like to start this club up again. And I go, yeah. Head out, butter. I think it's cool. Get on with it, you know. Yeah. At this time, I don't have a bug. You don't have a streetcar. I have a 72 911S black coupe nice. that I still have today. Thanks to off-road racing. It, looks perfect. looks brand new. <laughs> nice. Uh, I never hardly drive it. I'd rather drive my bug. So now I don't have to get a rental car when I come down. Then I'll just call you up and say, hey, can, yeah. I, can I take the 911? Yeah, Thanks. just take the Appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> so, so anyway... They, they go off, and they start DKP2, and they're nice guys, and they're doing a great job. Do they call and it DKP2? Yeah, they put it on their patch. Okay. The same patch like we had. You know, they use all the same emblems, and nice. the decals have a two on them. Nobody asked them to do that. Maybe they wanted to. They're distinguishing themselves. I, I think of it all as one club. Sure. Uh-uh. Anyway, we skip ahead to about the middle 90s. They're about done. There's a few of them still going on. But a new group shows up. They start the third one, and I'm back being a member with that group. Yeah. I go to all the events. With what car? Uh, what, what car do you get back in the club with? The 60 Ragtop. The 60 Sunny. Ragtop. Nice. Beautiful. And it's beautiful. And where did you pick that car up at? I bought that car off of a Porsche guy. Um um about 12 years ago in clb yeah he he did it all i did the motor but he did the whole car and he got it all done he goes this just ain't me he wanted to trade for my black portion i said no 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 no. so i bought it i actually i became a car thief i stole the car i oh. really did he he was over it he probably had 35k in the car yeah i bought it for 13.5 oh that's 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 a fantastic that's a fantastic deal it is. You're, so we, we talked about the club, where the club got to to version three. So let's back up a little bit and talk about fat performance. So fat performance, you start getting into building big type four motors. You're right. dominating in the race, in the race air-cooled scene. And, and in 1, 2, 1600 mm-hmm. type ones. And in uh, class 10 air-cools. Yeah. And, and we also start doing stadium racing. And we get lucky there. We get hot guys like Jerry Welchel. Yeah. To drive for us. And and he's like he's like a possessed guy. You put him in the car and it's like get out of the way. And then that car's running because uh, I noticed in one of your catalogs there was Toyota Motors. Was Yeah, I'm working towards that. Okay, go ahead, um, go ahead. So in stadium air cooled, um, we're killing him. But they changed the rules and say say you can run a rabbit motor. So we start doing rabbit motors, but we think that there's something better because we've been dabbling in Toyota motors. Sure. Uh, off-road, the V6s and stuff. So we deal with a 4AG four-cylinder. And I give my partner, Greg, a lot of credit for this. He was the one that spearheaded that because he said to me, we're going to do Toyos and everything. I go, dude, are you drunk? We're VW guys. He goes, no, 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 we can do this. We can do this. And to his credit, we did do that. Yeah. And, and not only that, we got involved with Toyota Motorsports, and for 20 years, roughly, we administrated the Toyota Motorsports 
Sportsman Off-Road Program. So we got parts up the yin-yang. Oh, we can give parts to customers. Oh, it was. We got free tickets to the Long Beach Grand Prix. Oh, that's it awesome. Was, it was fun times. Yeah, so, for so we were having a really good time. And we were building little four-cylinder um, Toyota 4AGs sure. that were cracking 200 horsepower. Wow. At at, uh, at um, 1,650 cc's. And you're putting Turning those... them like 10.5. And you're putting them in the back of 16 cars? Yeah. <laughs> so you're taking the air-cooled cars and converting them to water-cooled. Yeah, we mostly did, did in class 10 buggies uh, that would run air-cooled. We convert them, put radiators in them, stadium cars. Everybody went to run in a, a Toyota. Eventually, when you go to a stadium class 10 race, if you had an air-cooled motor, get out of the way because they're all going by you. Right, right. And and the reason that Jerry did so good was because he had a really good innovator, Nye Frank, who's no longer with us. Nye was such a talent and such a fabricator. He started out doing aluminum bodies for top fuel cars and for Bonneville racers. And then he got <coughs> involved with Jerry Welchel, and he hand-built torque converters for an Audi automatic so now Jerry had an automatic transmission with about a five and a half inch diameter torque converter that could charge into a corner, never take time to downshift or anything, stand on it and drive out of the corner. Wow. And shoot down the straightaway. It was amazing. Yeah. So amazing. So so really a, a lot of a lot of it is is the racing demands push the evolution of the sport and also what you were Absolutely. building. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's what ended the Type 4 reign somewhere in the 90s was the cars finally got big enough that V8 power could be used sure. and used effectively. Yeah. And so that's where the Class 1 starts. I mean, I remember Jim Barbeau at DRP, he told me he had a Class 1 unlimited car and it had a Porsche flat 6 in it. Yeah, we did those for a long time too. And it, uh, it, another it, Vegas guy did one for Herbst. Yeah, yeah, the Herbst brother. The, the, yeah, yep. the, then 3.5 those, twin plug. And those motors were crazy. thirty grand. They're telling me their motors were thirty oh. grand back in the oh, day. Oh yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. And 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 but there's nothing like being out in the desert in the middle of nowhere and hear what sounds like a Formula One car coming, and it's a Porsche powered um, uh, off-road race car. And and there was a guy. I don't, I'm not going to even try to remember his name, who built us six into one exhausts, and they were so fantastic. Oh, wow. And they made that wild sound. And here we go. We're turning them like 9,000 yeah, <laughs> across the desert. And those things are just built to get up and get, you know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So so how come, uh, from, from your perspective, being involved in the early air-cooled stuff, there was some camps went right over to like some of the Corvair stuff, buggy guys, stuff like that. Did you guys ever dabble in the Corvair stuff or you guys just stayed strictly in the VW stuff? I built one Corvair motor Yeah. for one guy. It was a uh, four liter Yeah. with triple throat Weber carburetors on it. And it was amazing. But the, the, the damn fan belt thing just drove me nuts. Right. The 90 degree fan belt deal. Yeah. That yeah, is kind of weird. That was really dumb. Yeah. Yeah. That was really, and I wanted to, I wanted to build an upright fan conversion on it, but the guy was happy with it. He said, "You don't have to." And I said, "Someday, if I ever do another one, it'll have a 911 fan on. It'll be amazing." Yeah. Because <coughs> they were big to start with. Sure. And so. Yeah, big inches. So now you get into, so, so now you're getting into some of the water cooled motors that you're yes. you're getting rid of the Type Fours. You're building the Toyota motors. People are switching to those. 
and then so this is this is kind of <coughs> mid '90s. Uh, yeah, into the late '90s, early early 2000s. You know, we're still building lots of one two sixteen hundreds. We're building Type fours for Class Five open. Right. Unlimited Baja bugs, and those are still killing them and dominating. Are they still doing Type fours in those in those in that class? Nah, they changed the rules, and most of them are using Ecotex. Yeah, the, uh, uh, spec motors. A spec motor, which right here I want to say for for the record, every engine builder worth his salt hates spec motors. Right. They are the ruination of classes. They are ruination of custom engine building, and they ain't as good as they seem. I have plenty of customers who switch to spec motors, and they break them, and it's like throw them away, buy another one. And they may be cheap, but after you bought half a dozen of them, how cheap are they? Now, the spec motors, it's a factory-built motor. It's got to be sealed. Ecotech. It can't be modified whatsoever. It can't be modified. Well, if you take it apart, you can't get rod bearings. You can't buy bearings for them. Really? Nope. Nope. Why can't you buy rod got, bearings for got, the Ecotech? Because they don't make them. Really? They don't sell them. They'll so, let you do it. So the motor's designed to be a throwaway. It's a throwaway, oh. which in today's world seems awfully sad when everything's about recycling right sorry let me get off my engine builder soapbox <laughs> i'm retired yeah <laughs> now there becomes this this time in your world at fat performance where things start to slow down in the 90s or what's what's the tempo going in regards to like what's your bread and butter what's the business what are you guys doing over there because you're seeing you're seeing the ebbs and flows of the industry we're still, um, all along through the years, we've done lots of things. We worked on, I had a service department for probably 25 years, employing three mechanics. Um, we worked on cars. Um, in the 2000s, I did a lot of modifications where I'd take bay window buses and vanigans mm -hmm. and install um, 911 motors in them. Oh, really? The, the key thing about Greg and I was we were always able to switch gears and do whatever you know, I always said, come in the door with a handful of money and tell me what you want. And, and you'll do together. <laughs> you'll do whatever you want. <laughs> now, right, you so know. let me ask you this. So you guys got into doing some military stuff, too. How do you how yeah, do you get into doing that? We had contracts with the military. We had contracts uh, with some Saudis. We built some stuff that went uh, over there for uh, um, princes and stuff to play with, you know. And, right. Yeah. And, and when you're building the military stuff, you know, I remember Jim Barbeau over here in uh, at Desert Racing, you know, back in the early 90s before he retired and closed his shop, you know, he's the kind of guy, he was an old ornery off-road guy, and then I kind of made friends with him, and then that kind of became, in the early 90s here in Vegas, that kind of became the hangout was DRP. Like, there's a clique of us right. guys in the early right. 90s where we kind of hung out over there at Jim's place, but I do remember these buggies coming in, these, these desert paint camo buggies with yep. these night vision lights on them and some stuff yeah. like that. And I thought these are the coolest things. So w when you guys got that, what, what's, what was the military specification? How'd that whole thing go down and, and what were their, what was their well, intention? They had started out, they went to somebody else who will go unnamed mm -hmm. and they had nothing but trouble. Yeah. Motor failure and all that. And so they came and they laid down a spec sheet and I looked at it and I said, that's all you want? That's easy. No problem. So we did. We developed a package, and they were extremely happy with it. We also did, for many years, the wide-open Baja experience. We did all their motors, <coughs> and they were very happy. For those guys? Type 4s. This is be fours. before they switched to the Subaru engines. 
Yes, which uh, um, they weren't as happy with that, but they'd already made the commitment, did all the cars into radiators. People don't remember that when you change to a water-cooled motor, there's a bunch of baggage that comes along with that, and the reliability goes down and the weight goes up. Yeah, the, pu- the puke tanks, the radiators, and all the plumbing and all that fun stuff has got to go with it. So like I said, we were always willing to adapt and to deliver what you needed. The Disney people came to us when they made the movie uh, about Herbie going NASCAR. Yeah, the new Herbie movie, yeah. Yeah, they said, first they went to some other guy, I won't name him, up mm-hmm. in the valley, and the motors broke and they didn't run right, and they came to us and they said to me, we need to have the car on the track, and we need it to go fast enough that we don't have to use CG so much because it's it's hard to do, you know. Right. It, 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 you make the, the acceleration doesn't look correct and everything. And I said, well, how fast do you need it to go? And I and they said, well, can you make it go like eighty five? Like, what? <laughs> You're like wide open for twelve hours, maybe eighty <laughs> five? Is that all? <laughs> so anyway, we built them motors for Herbie. There was three of them. Because there was three different, two different cars, plus they wanted a spare, and I said, "Well, you won't need a spare." Well, yeah, we want one anyway. Okay, twelve five each one of them. And so those motors were Type fours. Those were Type ones. Type ones. Four ninety four. Is there any other size? That's right. what I would say. <laughs> and what? And and they went around hundred and twenty eight miles an hour down the straightaway. And what type and of mo- a, what type of tranny? Huh? What type of tranny? Freeway flyer. Yeah. Freeway Flyer gearbox. Okay. And uh, uh, around the track oval of over 124, almost 125 miles an hour. Wow. And they had the cutest little girl was driving them. Yeah. She was a stunt driver. She was about five feet tall. And uh, she just she said, what do I need to know? I said, just go out there and stand on it. And they would go around, around the track. And the Disney people were ecstatic. But the best part of this whole deal was they filmed for two weeks at Fontana. Yeah. And they said, we need you out there, me, because I built them. Uh Uh-huh. And and Greg needed to stay back at the shop and run it anyway. And I said, well, I don't, you know, you don't need me. You won't have any trouble. (laughs) We want you out there. What's your hourly rate? And I said, 90 bucks an hour. And they said, okay, we want you around the clock. They took me out there. Yeah. Kept me at the track for two weeks. Each night after the end of filming, take me to a hotel, give me a meal ticket, give me a meal ticket for breakfast, feed me at the track with the big catering company, the motion picture, you know, how they use that. Yeah. And uh, I just stood around for two weeks, chit-chatting with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Nice. Rusty Wallace was a great, nice guy, and, and uh, Jeff Gordon was really cool, and uh, yeah. No, that's awesome. It was a lot of fun. So did you got you fun. and I made ninety dollars an hour around the clock. Yeah, you can't beat that. Did you? And nope. so did you guys? Did you guys built and installed the engines or just built them? We just built them, gave them to them. Here you go. What? 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 The forty eights on the motor? Yeah. Folks. And I, I gave them. I, I sold them oil coolers. I knew the guy who was putting the cars together, and he was a good guy. I said, I want this oil cooler. I want this fan on it, and I want the oil system run this way. And they did everything we said. And it worked perfectly. So what happened with those cars today? I don't know. <laughs> Somebody's got the motors. But They're t- nice motors. But those are all the those are all the NASCAR style. CNC ported heads, uh, um, scat forge crankshafts, uh, 
um, 48 IDAs, you know, beautiful parts. Yeah, built. Best parts. Best of the best. $12,500 each. That seems pretty cheap today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah. so let me ask you a question. So me, in, in my car's... Again, this is a podcast about you, but we always seem to get back to me somehow. So in my <laughs> in cool. my in my bus and my buses, I love running type fours. And, and for my opinion, it seems like in, in my split one that'll be coming out, it's got a type four. It's got that twenty six fifty type four in it. And I just never I could never understand why type four motors didn't take off on the street because from a, I know why. Because from a torque standpoint, they're monsters. I mean, you'll bring the back yeah. end of that car really easy. Agreed. What, what's your take on it? A lot of people don't it? realize that torque is what turns wheels. Here's the problem. There are a number of problems. One, they don't fit so well. They're a little bit big. In a bug. Two, people got to really pay attention to the cooling system. You've got to have a good sealed engine compartment and a cooling system. And the third one is just the... The lack of coolness, they don't turn ours. Right. They don't, they're, they're not they're known for... They're all done at 6,000. Or if you've got a big enough cam road racing, they'll go 6,500. Yeah. Anybody that tells you they turn their Type 4 over 7,000 is a liar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going down a cliff, maybe, but... <laughs> yeah, so... They, they don't turn ours, so they're not, they're not cool for cow look guys. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you know, for me, I, I you know, I like them in my bus. They've get they've got tons they're of absolutely torque. Fabulous. They're I the agree. they're the best motor for pulling grades and. I mean, I've I've had my my bull run bus. I've had that bus. That bus has been on the road now for over eighteen years, with yeah. a motor, a Jake Raby motor that I got back in two thousand, like back back in two thousand when I bought the motor two thousand two thousand one, and when right. I bought the motor. You know, I paid eight grand for it turnkey, and everybody was like, "Man, that's insane! Eight thousand dollars for an engine!" I'm like, "It's turnkey." They're like, yeah. "It doesn't matter. That's crazy." And I'm like, "No, it's not." And here I am, eighteen years later, heads have never been off that thing. It has been running, chugging. I changed the oil. I changed the oil. Well, let me rephrase that. My brother changes the oil every time he forces me to change the oil. But that's that's my go-to car. You know, I kind of get in it, turn the key, she fires up, she runs, she's reliable. And does everything you need it to do. Yeah, they're That's what just, I tell people. They're just stout. They're just. They're... I'll give you an, another motor builder story. Yeah. We were doing air cooled ten mm -hmm. cars, right? And we were racing in the Mickey Thompson stuff. I say we are customers, <laughs> and we'd go up to the um, Ventura Fairgrounds, and there's a guy up there with a car, and he calls me, and I kind of know who he is, and he says, "Well." darn it, I guess I have to come to you. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, uh, well, all the red ones keep going by me. And I like that because our motors always have a signature red, red trout. Red trout, right? yeah. <clears throat> so, so I said, well, okay. And he said, yeah, my dumb engine builder can only give me 160, right? <laughs> so we don't need me. I go, he goes, what? I go, yeah, we only make 145. Right. In our air cool 10 motors. He goes, well, I don't understand. I go, okay, well, let me just tell you. Here's probably what's going on, and I'm doing this very tongue-in-cheek. He probably gave you 160 Shetland ponies, and right. we build 145 real horses. Right, you know? right. And I said, it's the old numbers game, you know? Yeah. Every dyno reads differently, and I always tell my customer, when I tell them how much the motor makes, 
they say, oh, well, I know this guy, and he says he has this much. I go, who's faster? Well, I am. Yeah. Well, who cares? And I said, how about this? What number do you need to hear? Right. Does it do what it's supposed to do? Does it do everything you paid for? Yeah. Okay, well, I guess I was wrong. Yours is special. Yours actually makes 165. Right. You feel better? Yeah. yeah. Go tell the world, I say. <laughs> no, you know, and, and that's really the, the key component in building engines is building reliable motors that last, that start up every time, that you don't have issues. And that comes from buy, from getting engines from guys that are reputable. They build them over and over again. They've been building them for years because although they're pretty basic in nature, there's the little tricks and tips that the guys do Correct. that make them run forever. Now, so I'm going to ask you a question because you said, is there any other size motor than 2332? What's the most mileage you've seen on one of your 2332 motors? Uh, I have guys with street motors that I know um, have like thirty or 40,000 miles on a hot rod motor. And been out, been out for 10 years. They've just been... Yeah. My own one... Sunny has 15,000 miles on it. Now, it's, it's been about 12 years. I don't drive it any more than 1,000 miles or so a year sure. because I just go to events and stuff, you know, yeah. and, 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 and I'm lazy. When I get in, when I'm just doing normal, going around, driving around, I want one with two pedals, you know, going woke. Right, right. You know, especially if I'm going to go out and have a beer with my friends. I don't want to have to think about shifting. I don't want to have to think about my really cool car. I want to, I don't, don't want to be, I'm not drunk, but I just want to go, this one makes it go, this one makes it stop. You yeah. Know? So on, on your streetcar on Sunny, do you, you just run a four speed in that or do you do a Berg five? It's a four speed. Yeah. But it's a freeway flyer because I'm, my days of street racing, you know, <laughs> the last thing I want to do is be out the street races, get pulled over and the guy goes, gives me your, give me your license. And he goes, 73 what are you doing out here? <laughs> so right. i don't do that i so it's a it's a freeway flyer gearbox mm -hmm. however it has a quake differential chrome molly axles everything in sunny is the best you can get the motor's badass the brakes are great the interior's done by collins <clears throat> the paint is fantastic um everything works it has led bulbs it's an old car that you can see. <coughs> All the signals work, and it's just fantastic. You know, it's just a beautiful car. Yeah. So, so talking about drag racing, let's talk about the car you drag race currently. You currently race a car. What, what's the? Give me the story about the car. What class it's in? All that good stuff. Okay. About. Well, it's thirteen years ago now. I was fifty-nine, almost sixty. Yeah. And Mike Hunsaker, who was my partner in the Tar Baby many years ago, yeah, came to me, and he'd been still kind of dabbling in it. Had a race car. It was a super street car, which is what they call a pan car now. And he had a young guy driving it for him, and they were breaking shit. The guy was doing the motor, and they weren't that fast. And he came to me, and he said, "Do you want to do this again?" And I said, oh, Mike, I'm going to be 60. I don't know. And he goes, well, do you want to? And I said, yeah, I want to. But <laughs> so we went to Pomona, oddly enough, um, the Winter Nationals again. Here we are. Yeah. Time. Full circle. And, and, and they have a 16-car um, uh, quick bracket, right? Yeah. So that's how you get to run some singles at the Winter Nationals because they got a big program. So we go out there, 
and we make a few passes, the very first pass I make, and I kind of tuned on the car and changed a few things before we went out. Yeah. The very first pass I make, remember, my eye gassers all ran, the best ones ran in uh, 1180s. Right, when, so you're, when, first, when you hang up your racing, your racing gloves. Yeah. Now, I've, I had a dragster in it. That's a whole different animal. But sure. anyway, I had a rabbit dragster, and it ran 942. <laughs> but <clears throat> So I make a pass at Pomona, and it's so much fun. I'm giggling. I go through the lights, and I still got my leg in it all the way through. And I'm going, oh, shit. get your – oh, sorry. I can't yeah, say yeah. it. Lift your foot. You're going – you're gonna, you know, you're gonna hurt this thing and have to fix it. Well, we ran 1080 out of the box, right? Oh wow! And I'd never been in the tens in a bug, and it was so much fun. So we start working on it. We start going racing together, and I start working on it. Well, <clears throat> it currently now is a chop top because I love chop tops. It wasn't when I started racing it, but I told him after a few years we're gonna build a new car out of this. He goes, why? I go. Well, because it's ugly, and <laughs> yeah, and and because I got a sponsors. That's another funny thing. I have sponsors now. When I was a young kid, drag racing, yeah, I'd go sponsors. They go get out of here, kid. Sure. Now I go into shops or businesses, big companies, and go. I'd like to get sponsors from. Oh yeah, Ron, what do you want? Yeah, what and do I you tell need? them, and they give it to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, um, it now currently it's beautiful. Um, it's. Uh, Red, black, and white uh, with some silver and blue pinstriping on it in kind of a jagged jungle style. Um, it's a really a nice car. It has It's a little different from everybody's. has different wheels than everybody's. has a beautiful full anodized aluminum interior. Looks like a funny car on the inside. Nice. Um, and runs 996 and 135 miles an hour. And, it's... and everybody I race is... Uh, uh, 30 or less more years younger. younger than me. So what, uh, <laughs> so, so what's it running for a motor setup in it? Is it naturally aspirated? Yes. It so, has 60 millimeter Berg, Gene Berg, Weber copies. Yeah. It, uh, has, um, component development cylinder heads with a two and an eighth inch intake and, uh, wow. um, makes a 312 horsepower at 8,700 RPM. And I run it 9,300 through the lights, and it's just, it's amazing. Wow. It is so much of a joy to drive. It's uh, its unbelievable, fantastic. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so last time you ran and that as car. As long as I can still do it, I will. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, listen, I think that's, the, I think it's a goal for all of us, you know, because being in this hobby, we get so caught up with work and, and, and we, we dabble in our VWs on the weekends or when we can on Friday night or whatever. We take it out every now and again. We might go a month, a month or two without driving it. Yeah. But our goal is to where we get to a point in life where we can really enjoy our hobby, enjoy our cars. And I think I'm it, there. Yeah. You know, I think, I think we, we, sometimes we get caught. It was funny. So I was at this, I was at the show this weekend, the Huntington beach show. And Calabunga. yeah, Calabunga. So I had my, I had the bull run bus parked on the pier. Now the bull run bus has been done for 18 years, 18, 19 years. I take it to Octo. No one blinks. No one looks at it. No one, anything, but we go to the hunting beach show. And if there wasn't, you know, 500 pictures of that car taken, there wasn't any. And it's so, and what, what kind of crossed my mind is I started thinking about how different it is that 
we as VW people, we get a little bit jaded when it comes to Volkswagen. It's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's an oval. It's not a split. Well, meanwhile, back in 1992, it was like, is that an oval window? Wow, where'd you get that? You know what I mean? Correct. And it seems yeah. like we've become so jaded because the internet's made the world so small that we forget and we and we and it, it kind of makes sometimes maybe going to shows not so exciting or not so fun because we forget about really looking at the cars, the uniqueness of the car, and and really looking at the time, effort, and energy people put into them. And it was just amazing to me how many people were just all over the bus. And my perception of my bus is like, yeah, this old thing, I've had it forever. And I just drug it down here because of this, this, and this, because it's my reliable bulletproof one that I turn the key and it starts. And, you know, but it was interesting that, I think as the hobby goes on, we sometimes get a little too jaded about stuff and we don't appreciate some of the really cool stuff that's out there. Yeah. And and when you take the time and you and, and you kind of go through, because I think we're so used to like, what's the new thing? What's the new thing? Who's got the new car? Who's got the cool thing? Who's got the this? And and that's one of the cool things about, about DKP, the cow look scene, is it's the evolution in it has kind of stayed within certain boundaries. The style, yep. the tempo, the, the the structure, the builds of the car, the the the, the intent of the club has stayed fairly traditional all the while, maintaining a level of of attainment for some people. Like I'm trying to build a DKP kind of car, you know what I mean? Everybody and yes. everybody knows that. Like you you come yeah. up with that description, and that's one of the great things that that's a that 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 I appreciate about the DKP. I, I, one of my favorite things is, you know, 18 years ago when I debuted my bus was going to they weren't doing a Nick's Burgers. I think they might have been doing it at Dairy Queen back then. And yeah. and I came into the Dairy Queen and I'm driving my bus and it's 2001. Nobody's driving buses on 17 inch wheels. And I come in with the red and black bus, with the big type four in it. And no one's yeah. doing big type fours and street buses. And, you know, I come in there and I just remember like the greatest thing ever was leaving there and just laying patch the whole right. way as I left. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's always yeah. been, you know, I mean, I, I did the same thing when I came out in the type 34 Gia. And it's one of those things where that that Friday night event, which we have another one coming up, which I wanted to touch base with about it for a second. But that Friday night event of the pre-car show weekend is just what kicks things off. There's that excitement in the air. There's that that kind of this is the beginning of summer type thing. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and it's just been something for me. And it's funny because over the last 18 years, it seems like not very long, right? When we're looking back at 18 years. Well, I've got kids that have grown up like my, my oldest is 20 years old now and they're reminiscing about the days that I would drag them to the classic because that's dad's weekend and they're like oh man I really wish I would appreciate the classic when we would go there and it would do you know there'd be the big weekend they're like they have nothing but fond memories of their dad dragging them around they smell gas and we're just driving Volkswagens right. and, but it's such an yeah, iconic two sons one's 35 one's 30 yeah yeah and and are they in the Volkswagens? No, one's a motorcycle guy and one's a Honda guy. Yeah, but <laughs> it's okay. I hey, never forced them. Hey, they're motorsports. They both work at the shop in the summertime, and they both are mechanically proficient. Because I always told them, "You want to fix your car? There's your tools. You can mine. You can use. I'll get you parts, but you're doing it. I'm not doing it." So, they're they're very sound in that way, and their car, bike, whatever guys but uh yeah no, mechan- they're listen they're car guys period and car guys yep. there's there's a thing with a car guy that right. some at one point you were standing there you saw a bug and you thought 
man, that's kind of cool that that thing's fast and it's small and it's and it's unsuspecting. Maybe I got to get right. something like that because that's right. when you're driving, it's funny. You'll drive your 911 and everyone wants to race you. You'll drive your bug and no one knows that they're racing you and they can't pass you. You know what I mean? It's like this little game that we right. play <laughs> driving around because I had a 911. I drive my 911 around. I've got every Chrysler 300. Everything's trying to race me. I drive yeah. my bug around. No one's trying to race me, but if I get on the gas a little bit and people think like, oh, let me get around this bug, and then I surprise them with, uh, you know, they can't beat me in the bug, it's yeah. just such a fun experience, you know, and that's and that's one of the things I think on, on the VW scene that kind of makes us all, we love the underdog. We love, we love me the- too. <laughs> we we love the basic car that can be built to the same level of a supercar. You know what I mean? And like- these it's just such a great hobby and it and it's awesome to be able to have you on the podcast and talk to you about stuff like this and it's even more cool to be able to go that the events are still going on you know so we've got on may 31st we've got the uh kp garden grove main street historic district cruise night yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> and and i'm looking forward to going there because you know now that the southern california scene has been kind of split up a little bit it's kind of a bummer but I can't be there. I got a day job and I got kids and I got people to feed and stuff. So I can't be there for 10 days. So my choice is the first weekend, starting with the DKP night and then Octo right. on Octo on Saturday. And the and, and then they, there's a vintage show there on Saturday somewhere as well. And then Sunday at the Buggin. So will you be racing your car at the Buggin? No, because I run the whole show for Kimball. Oh, okay. So you're busy. So my my phone is saying low battery. <laughs> well, low no problem. We're at we're at a perfect spot. We can wrap up. What we'll do, we'll, we'll wrap up. But I'd definitely like to get you on here again and kind of go into some more detail about some other stuff down the road. But I would love that. Yeah, but I just wanted to make sure that you know everybody knows uh, about the uh, the May thirty first DKP Garden Grove Historic Main Street meet. Right. And there's going to be a yeah. bunch of cars debuting there, like always. Right. And the for that weekend. Car gets an automatic entry into the Buggin' America's Most Beautiful VW. We're bringing that award back. Awesome. And on Saturday is Octo for you bus people. And for you vintage people, it's the RVA Old World Village in Huntington Beach show. And hopefully... So it's if, a big weekend. And, and hopefully if I know somebody down there, I may be able to set up a, a little easy up in a table and bring the Let's Talk Dubs podcast down there to the Main Street event. I don't know if I don't there's. I think that's any problem at all. And we'll see if I can if I can find some people I know down there, <laughs> but let's yeah, see if we can get I'm that sure set up and maybe do a live stream from down there for some of the people that can't make it out that weekend that we can uh, satisfy their VW needs. But hopefully, we'll get these weekends built back up to where they're these big ragers like they were in the in the early 2000s. But uh, I'm excited for it. Ron, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. You know, it, it's an honor to sit here and chat with you, and I've respected everything you've done, and, uh, you know, I appreciate all that you've contributed to the hobby. It's it's awesome. It's made things for guys like me that much better, and just the knowledge and be able to pick your brain and sit here and shoot the breeze with you, man. It's It's been an honor and a pleasure to chat with you. Well, well thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate it. Hey, have a great night, and we'll see you on, uh, we'll see you on May 31st. You got it. All, all right. right. See ya.